Our character this evening is John Elias, the great preacher from Wales. Please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 3:12. Proverbs 3 and verse 12. Though John Elias was renowned in his day as a preaching giant, one that could move his audience to tears of repentance he is also a model of one that obeyed his superiors from childhood and then took great pains to teach his own children to do the same proverbs 3 and verse 12 For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Imagine with me for a moment looking through the window and watching the work of a world renowned sculpture standing before a statue and he takes his knife upon the clay and he carefully shaves off parts of the clay and he's cutting and rubbing and removing and adding to the clay what if it were possible for the clay to speak Imagine the clay crying out in pain each time the artist puts that knife to the clay. Each time the artist stabs that culture, that sculpture. And with each strike of the blade, the master is making the image more and more beautiful. This is the way the great artist is. The greatest artist, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way he is with his creatures. And this is also the way parents need to be with their children. This verse before us says that the Lord reproves him whom he loves. That word reproves means to cut it means to stab it means to inflict pain and who does the lord inflict pain upon he inflicts pain upon those whom he loves now if you and i as creatures if we are wise if we are biblical in our world view then we will thank god for our trials we will thank god for the stabbings the cuts because it reminds us of God's love parents second half of this verse parents must discipline their children as a sign of love and as a tool of growth children should never resist or complain about the stabbing or that's just a picture that is the reproof the rebuking 
the discipline from their parents any more than a sculpture should blame the artist for making him more beautiful. Now today we're going to study the life of John Elias. And he is known primarily as one of, if not the greatest preacher in Welsh history. I have this biography, John Elias, Life Letters and Essays by Banner of Truth, given to me by my good friend, Ivor Jeffries. And this is, that's one of the rare books that the second time around I read it, it was better. The first time through, I didn't like it very much. And I still think that book, probably like 90% of the books that I read are too long. But it was better the second time around. And then here is... This, this is the uh, surprise book of the year. Seth and I try to do a book of the year, the worst book of the year, and then a surprise book of the year. That is, it comes out of nowhere. We didn't expect this. Some of the great uh, preachers of Wales by Owen Jones. It seems like if you're Welsh, you have to have the first name Owen. And it seems like 90% of Welsh people have the surname Jones. In fact... Um, John Elias, you say, ah, John Elias, his surname was not Jones. Yes, it was. It was Jones, but he had to change it because everyone had the surname Jones. So he took the name of his relative because everyone's name was John Jones or Owen Jones or something Jones or Martin Lloyd Jones, as we will learn about in a moment. These are two excellent books, but... Walking away from this particular preacher, I thought what was greatest about his life was not his preaching, but it was the way that he listened to his superiors and then as a superior later on in life, wrote to his children to train them, according to Proverbs 3 and verse 12. John Elias was born in 1774, one year before Patrick Henry proclaimed in Virginia, give me liberty or give me death. And it was two years before or I should say, four years after the death of George Whitfield. So that puts you a little bit in the timeline of this great man, John Elias. By the time Elias died, 68 years later, many considered him to be the greatest preacher in Welsh history. And that is not lightly said. The Welsh were all-stars. When it came to preaching. To be the greatest of the Welsh preachers. That's like the best player on the all-star team. This is like the hall of fame. And you're the top player with the hall of fame. The Welsh preacher. The Welsh audience were not easily impressed by preachers. And they said. Many said. He was one of the best. If not the best. His parents were not very religious. But his grandfather was. His father was a Christian and godly and had a tremendous influence on his grandson. Whom? I mentioned to Mr. Shisani the other day, 
Elderly men don't lose that opportunity to influence young people for Christ. Isn't it amazing as we've gone through these characters, how often the Lord uses different tools. Sometimes it's a sister. Who can give an example of a sister that was used? Audrey? Uh, was that, was that a sister who... Okay, Hudson Taylor was one. There's others. How about a mother? Augustine, right? Okay, how about an old man walking down the seashore? There we go. I mean, the Lord uses all kinds of tools. And here we're going to find an old man, his grandfather. He taught his grandson to read by age four. And by age six, he was reading the Welsh Bible. The grandfather taught him to fear God. One day when John was young, he overheard some young boys swearing among each other. And he thought to himself, I want to speak like those boys. So he went into an open field by himself and he started practicing that wicked language that he had heard. But his conscience was so tender And he had been taught so well by his grandfather that he was filled with terror. And he felt as though at that very moment the ground would open up and swallow him up into hell. He never returned to those young boys again. From childhood, John loved the sound of preaching. He and his father would walk hand in hand, sometimes up to 10 miles to church each Sunday. That's 16 kilometers. And when the first sermon was over, they would walk more miles to another church to hear more preaching. It was during the sermon that Elias was eventually converted around age 17. But even before his conversion... John led his family in family worship. He felt convicted that they needed to be doing that. But remember, they were irreligious. So he said, can I lead the family in Bible reading and prayer? And they said, yes. Even though they didn't give him much encouragement, he did it anyway. Let that be a reminder to you men, many of you whom do not have Christian parents at home. After he preached a few times, word began to spread. That there is an evangelist, there is a preacher that is arising in our midst. And so people traveled from town to town listening. This itinerant preacher preaching the gospel. Because in those days it was somewhat common to preach in the open air and to be an itinerant preacher. And so he would go from place to place in Wales. Hundreds and thousands flocked to hear the powerful Young preacher John Elias. In his mid-twenties, he moved from his hometown to the village of Anglesey, where the people were known to be immoral and wicked. In fact, the sin of fornication in that town was so popular that there were illegitimate children everywhere in the town. And John Elias 
address those sins immediately, preach passionately against the sins of immorality. They made, in fact, rules. And this is interesting because I noticed how, depending on our particular context, we're going to focus on different doctrines and different sins and the practical outworking of how to overcome those. So for their church members, they made a list of practical ways they had to overcome these particular sins. For example, they had to agree to, quote, dissolve association with sinful companions, to renounce the pomps and vanities of this wicked world. To abstain from all corrupt, corrupt practices such as card playing, going to plays, and assemblies for dancing. From intemperate feasting, rioting, and drunkenness. End quote. They said, look, these are the sins that our young people are dealing with. We're going to put that specifically before them. Another interesting thing. The town where he ministered was close to the sea. And there would be merchant ships that would sometimes come close to the town and be smashed upon the rocks. And they would sink or they would be crippled upon the rocks. So the townspeople and pirates and thieves would run into the water and steal everything from the ship. Not quite like burning down ShopRite. Not that bad because they still had to swim out there. But... Similar, they just stole things that weren't theirs. Incidentally, we'll see this later, his wife owned a business and she lost a lot of money because the merchant ships that were vandalized and they struggled from time to time financially because of that. But because there was so much stealing and thievery in the town at that time, they also put this before their church members. They made it a rule, quote, Do not trade or deal in smuggled goods. Now, how many of you have that in your church membership list? But we all are in different settings, right? And in their particular setting, that was an issue. Let's deal with it. On one occasion, Elias visited a town called Rudlin. And... This town was known to dishonor the Lord's Day. In fact, on Sundays it said it was the most sinful and satanic day of the week was Sunday. They had fairs, they had dancing, drunkenness, rioting, revelry in the streets. It was a town of farmers and so they would bring their farming tools and sell. And one day John Elias came there and he said, I'm going to come back here one day. And I'm going to preach to these people in the open air. And sure enough, he came back and it was announced. And many people came. And he stood on the step of an inn. And he stood on the step and he began to preach to the people. Huge crowds were there. Tears were in his eyes as he preached from Exodus 34, 21. Six days you shall work. But on the seventh day, you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. Our context today, among the Tsongas, the way they desecrate the Lord's Day is by using it for funerals, using it for parties, or using it for travel. 
It happens constantly. I can get on the bus on the Lord's Day. I can travel to Joburg. I'm going to use the Saturday on the Sunday because on Saturday, of course, I have to still enjoy myself. I'm going to use the Lord's Day to travel. That's wicked. I'm going to use Sunday to bury so-and-so. Let the dead bury their dead, Jesus said. And so he preached to them on this particular passage. He told the people as they were listening that they should thank God that the ground did not swallow them up into hell at the very moment. This single sermon put an immediate stop to the wickedness of Sundays in, on Sundays in Redland. When someone later suggested to him that these old Sunday customs would quickly return. Elias said, if anyone will give the least encouragement to its return, he will be accursed before the Holy Trinity. So many people came to hear John Elias speak that on one occasion, or perhaps several occasions, when he was preaching in the church, he would sit in the window entrance so that people could hear him inside the church And they could hear him outside the church because there were so many crowds. In fact, during that time, he's preaching in the window opening. The people were so overcome with joy that he had to tell them to calm down during his sermon so that they would not distract him. And his sermon was an hour and 40 minutes long. Preaching in those days was not easy. One time while he was preaching, his enemies released a wild bull into the congregation. And the only reason it didn't harm people is because by God's providence, the bull fell and broke its leg. Caleb sent me that photo of George Whitfield preaching, the guys in the tree with the horns. And it almost looked like the pose is actually the logo That's the logo for Banner of Truth. Imagine if they could have expanded that and made the logo off to the side. His enemies blowing on their trumpets to distract his preaching. That's what they did to John Elias. Another time he was walking a long distance in the mud and rain to his next preaching place. He was cold and wet and dirty and he comes into the church. No one welcomed him. No one was kind to him. In fact, they kind of belittled him. He ends up praying and preaching, but one of the pastors there did all that he could to disturb Elias while he was praying and preaching. Elias still prayed and preached with power, and later that pastor apologized for his sinful attitude. Another time while Elias and his horse were crossing a river on a ferry, He said to the pilot of the ferry, he said, just so you know, don't raise the sail. Because if you raise the sail, it will spook my horse and he'll jump into the water. So they get on the ferry and the horse is there and Elias is there and the pilot didn't listen. And he raised the sail and what do you think happened? The horse went berserk and jumped into the water and knocked John Elias into the water until he had to swim back to the boat. Just before his 25th birthday, he married a woman 
named Elizabeth Broadhead. Elizabeth came from a wealthy home, and she was well-educated. It seems as though she had fallen into some form of immorality before she was married, and it's not clear exactly how severe it was, but she was later converted, but even after her conversion, she was still shunned, so she had to move to another area, and there she met this famous preacher, John Elias. She had been converted and changed, and they planned to get married. Her father did not want her to marry him because she came from a wealthy home of education, and why marry this poor Methodist preacher? But he relented. She loved him dearly. And she respected him so highly that she was willing to work and sacrifice as much as possible so that he could devote all of his time to the work of God. She started her own business selling drapes and women's hats and took meticulous care of the shop's finances so that her husband could write, pray, read, and preach. She guarded her husband's study time, allowing no one to disturb him during important hours of the day. And because their shop was connected to their home, and because they had family worship every morning and every evening, they would close the shop during family worship in the morning and in the evening so that no one could divert the word. And she even supported her husband when sometimes he had to discipline people out of the church. And that would eventually harm the business in the town. But she stood with her husband. After 30 years of blissful marriage, Elizabeth died. Even on her deathbed, she was looking out for his well-being. When her children said, hey, Father's away preaching. She took a sun turn for the worse. Let's run and get Father. And she said this. By no means. For what is my life compared to the great cause he is engaged in? That was her attitude all her life. All her married life. Those 30 years. That was her posture with her husband. I'm going to do everything I can with business. So I can give him all the time that he can. Toward the word. Ten months later, he married a godly widow named Anne Bulkley. Now, this is interesting. On one occasion, her husband had died, and his wife had died. And he came to preach, and she knew who he was, and she wanted to listen, but she didn't want to bring a distraction. So she dressed up in her servant maid's clothing and went incognito in disguise to listen to him preach and she said I have never heard such a sermon in my life the descriptions of John Elias's preaching are just amazing in these books let me just read a couple examples this is one man who is describing the power of John Elias's preaching Quote, as a preacher, 
He was powerful and persuasive. He simplified everything and set all truths forth in their clearest light so that a child could understand him. His sermons, I was going to say, invariably reached the heart. In all my journeys through Wales, I have not heard of any one minister whose preaching has been so universally blessed to the conversion of sinners as that of John Elias. In almost every country place, village, or town, you can find some person who will ascribe his conversion to one of his sermons. They, they tell stories. I'll pause this quote for a moment. They'll tell stories where a man would be walking to the field and he would be passing by the chapel and you hear the preaching and he would just be stunned. He couldn't even move. And he would suddenly be converted. Back to the quote. He says, This I have witnessed in many cases. You, you know that we, that is Welsh people, are accustomed to very powerful preaching in Wales. Indeed, I may say with truth, there is no ministry on earth that can compete with the Welsh in solidity, warmth, and energy. Yet John Elias was remarkable among the Welsh. Some of his sermons, which I heard while yet a boy, are still fresh and vivid on my mind and will never be effaced, while thousands of other sermons have passed into oblivion. I can never forget the extraordinary effects produced upon the multitudes assembled at Bala Association about seven years ago when he was preaching from Isaiah 6.10. There was not, I believe, a dry eye in the vast assembly on the occasion. The preacher wept and prayed in the pulpit. Multitudes fell down as dead and every countenance seemed filled with terror and dismay. Well, well, said a friend at the close. Let them say what they will of Elias. There is, however, none like him. He is higher by his shoulders than any of us. There was one occasion where they were having an outdoor meeting where people were coming from miles around to gather at this outdoor event. And actually, Elias was not preaching on that particular evening. There's two other men preaching. They gathered at 5.30 and they finished at 7.30. So it sounds like they did something like back-to-back 45-minute or hour-long sermons. I think all the people were standing because when I see the photos of the open-air preaching, even into the 1800s, all the people were standing. And at the end, it's now 7.30 at night, and Elias comes in to give some closing words, and he said, look, it's only 7.30, so we got a lot of day left, okay? Uh, We just heard that preaching, and I want to give a few announcements. It sounds like people came from all over to this particular place, but they had no lodging. So they said to those people in that particular town, who may not have even been converted, we need places to stay, and we're asking you to open up your homes to us, and don't forget our tradition for years is this. Every single evening that we have this conference together, we are in homes, at 9 o'clock exactly, we have family worship in the home. So all of you who just heard back-to-back, hour-long sermons, and it's now in the evening, 
We just want you to know, when you go to a stranger's home, we're expecting to have family worship at exactly 9 o'clock. Let me give an example. There are dozens. I just chose one example to show the vividness of his sermon illustrations. Okay? Imagine this now. There is a man walking along the high road, sauntering slowly, never dreaming that there is any danger near. But the coach, the stagecoach, is approaching swiftly in the same direction. The horses, the horses are galloping up to him. The, the, the tramp on their feet on the ground is heard clear and far. Why does not that man turn aside? Can't you picture it? He is heavy of hearing. Cry out then, out of the way, man! But he does not stir. The coach passes over him and he is found dead on the road. So these men who have deadened their senses by their sins... Do not hear the heavy rumbling of the chariot of everlasting justice. And the chariot comes up with them at last and rolls over them, leaving them crushed under the wheels. Look how he feels for the glory of God and how now and again he assumes a threatening attitude. How the dark cloud hangs over his brow and how he stretches forth his arm to denounce the judgments of God upon them for their sins. They are altogether devoid of feeling. Wasn't that moving? Couldn't you see that picture? Now imagine that over and over and over again by a very gifted preacher. Sometimes he would point and everyone would look. Look, someone's coming. They're coming. What a preacher John Elias was. And yet, my takeaway from his life was even more so the care he had for his two children. The Lord blessed him with four children, but two died at childbirth. And so he had two children left, a son and a daughter. When his two infants died, on their gravestone is written, They died for Adam sinned. They live for Jesus died. There is a lot of theology in that sentence. Just that sentence alone can be an incredible encouragement to those who have lost infants. What happens to infants when they die? We believe God in his grace will usher them into heaven. And thus, they died for Adam's for Adam sinned, they live, for Jesus died. He taught his remaining son and daughter with intense devotion. Uh, you'll notice that this book is called The Life. That goes up to right here. So that means more than half of the book is filled with letters and essays. And there are letters filled in the book toward his children. It made me want to write more letters to my children and to other children. John Elias did this. When ungodly fairs, for example, came to their town, he was so clever. 
He kept his children from temptation by sending them away to friends' homes so that they would not be tempted. And then when they got a little bit older and worked in the business shop, he would give them contests and he would say, the one who sells the most merchandise will get a reward. And they were so over-focused on the merchandise they were selling, they would not be tempted by the evil out there. It made me think, fathers, we need to be wise and train our children and not just don't. There was some warmth to Elias when he taught his children. The letters he wrote his children are models of fatherly instruction. He wrote a 16-year-old son who is not yet converted. So many great examples in the book. And he urges his Son, to come to Christ. He says it this way. Urging his son to come to Christ, he says, When wilt thou see the value of Christ and salvation in his blood? When, when must thy father, before he goes to the grave, endure the great affliction of seeing thee alienated from the church of Christ? In his letters, he counseled his children to use their time wisely, to respect their superiors, to read their Bibles morning and evening, to confess sin quickly. There were times that as his son got a little bit older, his son liked to talk about theology. And sometimes he would get carried away with maybe some Arminianism or sometimes hyper-Calvinism. And his father, when he got these letters on theology, he encouraged his son and he satisfied his son by writing back to him lengthy letters that were full of warmth and theology. Another occasion, he found out that a man was pursuing his daughter and so he wrote a lengthy letter on how she ought to proceed wisely when a man was seeking to court her. His daughter later wrote, to live in his family was to a great degree heaven upon earth. I can never forget the light that followed our family worship. This is similar to Peyton here. And the pleasure and edification we found in conversations. I never, and never can I forget the tears I saw in the chair in his study by which he bent his knees though nothing was heard. And we were well aware that he was pouring out a profusion of tears in his secret prayers. Many times did I observe him coming out from his chamber like Moses coming down from the mountain with so much of the image of God upon his countenance that no one could look him in the face. The simplicity, the tenderness, the humility of his countenance almost compelled men to worship God when they saw him. Remember, John Elias had no university training. In fact, even some of the letters that he wrote in English, that was on his mother tongue. He learned English later on in life. And some of those letters were written, even though they were beautiful English, after just a few months of going away to study English. He taught himself the basics of Hebrew and Greek. Many said that his prayers were more powerful than his preaching. He was so ordered in his preaching 
that it was said no mathematician could arrange his ideas better. Multitudes said they had never heard such preaching. He had the face of a lion in the pulpit, they said. They compared John Elias to a phoenix. Do you know what the phoenix is? The phoenix is a, is a legendary bird that supposedly there is only one that lives at a time on the earth. And that is the way they compared John Elias and his preaching. They made a point that said that preaching is for that particular time. And it cannot cross into different eras. We might take some of their sermons from time to time. We might get their manuscripts from time to time. But it was for a particular people and a particular place that it was to be given. A preacher, quote, is for his day and for his time. He is not a man for posterity in any way. The greatest factor in the sermon is the man himself. His spirit, his soul, his body, his face, his eye, his voice, his hands, with all their movements are essential parts of the sermon. And the effect produced is due much more to these than to that accumulation of ideas and words which we call a sermon. In other words, they're saying, we can try to describe his preaching, but the man is so bound up, if, even if you get a manuscript of his preaching, you can't, you can't understand it. That is, the sermon is but the dead cannonball. The real sermon is the cannon. The powder, the fire, the ball, the momentum, the crash and catastrophe. The difference between two printed sermons may be very great. One is the sermon of a preacher who made but little impression upon the people of his day. The other is the sermon of a man who was followed by thousands wherever he went. The first sermon may appear much superior to the second in thought and expression. The second contains but the most common truths in ordinary language. The comparison between them, we say, is futile. It matters little how they appear now. The chief element is gone. The man, the body, the soul, and the spirit are gone. John Elias died in 1841 at age 68. A procession a mile and a half long of 10,000 people attended his funeral. Though he is regarded as the most popular preacher in Wales, at least in his day, he said, quote, If any good has been done by my imperfect labor, God in his grace performed it. To him belongs the glory. I was as nothing.